Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. All right, welcome to another uh, session of the Dynasty Summit Series. This week, uh, we have our first guest on. We'll have a series of guests over the next couple of weeks. But our first one is a legend in the industry, um, someone that I think does incredible work over at Rotowire, has been doing it for quite a long time, has a great process, that, of course, is James Anderson. What's going on, James? How are you? Hey, Jeff. Hey, Dylan. Great to be with you guys. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, always love talking dynasty and prospects with you guys so thanks for the invite yeah absolutely and i, I was going to say of course my co-host here uh dylan white um the master of the robo scout i always get a different name every week but i was thinking about this offline i didn't say this to either of you but um when i was thinking about this show and like what we would talk about and it was kind of funny because i honestly feel like you two are among people that i talk to a lot about baseball or chat with here and there um two of the better multifaceted fantasy players and what i mean by that is you guys have been successful in a wide variety of formats you're really good redraft players of course um you know i know james has been somebody that uh for years has always been i think one of the better redraft players that i've played with and then excellent dynasty players as well you know the player pool you know prospects you understand strategy um you just you do a lot of things really, really well, and there's very few people, I think, that uh, do this as well as both. So I think for those tuning in, you have two great minds here, two actual great players. Uh, they walk it like they talk, so to speak. So, Well, thank you for all those kind words. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think Dylan's absolutely great. I, I hope he's not in any of my uh, NFPC leagues this year, and uh, <laughs> leave it at that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't want to be, I want to be in dynasty leagues with you guys because I know you know what you're doing. And I feel like the sustainability of like a dynasty league is very important to have good plugged in players that know what's going on. That's a huge component of those leagues actually lasting beyond year one, year two, uh, where we often see them fold. Um, So with that being said, I wanted to have a little bit of conversation about, you know, dynasty strategy, the things that are changing out there. I know that James, you've been doing work at Rotowire for a really, really long time. Um, you know, I date back to Rasball at a similar point in time. And things with Dynasty have evolved a lot. The type of games that people play, um, how deep the prospect rosters are versus what they were years ago. Um, you know, and that was just even beyond like those pro boards leagues with like, you know, uh salary caps and all that sort of stuff that was really really like niche within a niche um it's got more expanded i think that like it's more regular now that you know someone who's in dynasty baseball league that may roster you know 300 plus prospects uh, at any given time so i wanted to throw this over to you um james and so, certainly an open conversation so dylan of course jump in um what sort of things are you seeing out there now that are changing in terms of strategy how people are doing things differently yeah, you know, I think uh, this has kind of been a, a common, um, you know, battle, I think, among dynasty sort of 
analysts and dynasty players in terms of like, should you be, you know, playing for kind of the long game? Should you be playing um, for the here and now? And I think I've noticed the, like the big leagues, it's just become more and more and more of a young man's game. Um, certainly more than it was like 10 years ago. I think so many teams are trying to kind of copy the, the raise with loading up on pre-arb, uh big leaguers to keep uh salaries low and you know you flip those guys when they start getting expensive and you, you make sure that your farm system's always got a, a decent amount of talent in it and so with so many young players um you know ranking highly on on redraft rankings uh especially on the hitting side um i think that's an important distinction to make i think it's just become more clear to me than than ever before that you know if you're doing like a startup dynasty draft right now i really think it's it's gotten to the point where you're maybe just kind of missing things if you're not trying to win the league um you know at least kind of 20 picks into your startup draft um because you like i'll i i do obviously a lot of redraft leagues this time of year and i look at those rosters and they're they're very young rosters, um, so why would I be playing dynasty different, right? Like you know, I've got so many. Like I just did a dynasty or a redraft league where I, I took like Noeli Marte and Ezekiel Tovar and Tristan Casas, and that's for redraft. But you know, those guys are, are great options in both redraft and dynasty. So I think you can uh, draft a young-ish dynasty team that is ready to win that first year. And, um, you know, obviously it, it kind of goes without saying if you're following prospects and you're kind of staying up on who's breaking out, if you're following Dylan's work, um, you don't necessarily have to just get the guys who are really good prospects when you're doing that first startup draft, you'll find the next guys. And um, you can just, you can really kind of fall behind if you go into like that startup draft with the plan of not even trying to contend that first year, because you're going to be in a league with really uh, talented drafters, good, good analysts, um, you know, of young players who are going to be able to kind of have their cake and eat it too and draft a team that's ready to win, but also a team that has the pieces to stay competitive for a while. So um, I, I was probably a little kind of too late to kind of fully jump to that, that side of the, the aisle of really kind of valuing um, the here and now. Uh, but I do think that that's that's just become a, a, a really viable way to go. I think even if even if the whole league is going that way, um, you know, if you deal with some injuries or you, you make some bad picks or whatever, you know, you, somebody's going to have to pivot into kind of a, a mini rebuild, or at least a few teams are. Um, but there's no reason to kind of like wave that white flag right away from day one. And I, I just think the game is going to stay very young. Uh, pitching is kind of a different animal, I think, than hitting. Uh, you, you look at like the best pitchers, the pitchers who get drafted the highest. Uh, obviously, Spencer Strider is is the best, and he's he's young. But a lot of those guys are are, are older; they're in their you know late twenties, early thirties, and we you know we expect those guys to to be good for you know another few years. So like you you shouldn't be um, skewing young with with pitchers, in my opinion, regardless of what your uh, competitive window is. But um, you know I think it's just it's more of a, a young 
player's game at the big league level. So I do think you can draft a, a youngish dynasty league team that's ready to win right now. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think it's, there's all these articles, like, should you be going win now or win later? And you kind of have to make a decision by like round five in a startup. But now it's kind of, you can wait till like you're saying, like round 20, because the, the, the redraft teams kind of map onto, like you're saying, the dynasty teams, they're very similar. So you don't really have to make that choice. I think because things are skewing so young as well, I, I don't know if you heard the, the four-hour mar- marathon pod that uh, Rob DiPietro had. I haven't listened to that one yet. <laughs> but basically, they're talking about how everyone at Fantasy Baseball in redraft high-stakes leagues are getting so much better. And so, like, the edges are smaller and smaller, and you have to find edges. And so now, like, Phil and Zimmerman are, like, going through the AAA stat cast, and they're trying to do prospect uh, hunting um, because they know they're going to come up and that might be the edge to be able to find the next guy to draft and hold that's, uh, you know, to come up in July and, and add some value. So I think they're on to something for the high stakes leagues. And so, um, I, I just basically supporting what you're saying that, uh, it's a younger game and you're going to see the double a prospects, the triple a prospects come in and make a meaningful impact in, in, uh, this season. And I think, um, some of the stuff in real life baseball has forced some of that, right? Like, um years ago when it was a very viable strategy to go in and buy up the top 10 prospects that you could get to start a draft and guys like built machines out of this like legitimate like title contending winning you know great dynasty lineups um it feels like you can't do that any longer because you don't have the same restrictions with there's incentives now uh, with teams wanting to obviously promote prospects, especially guys who are on top 100 lists, which means the top guys, right? The guys that are on all three top 100 lists that have legitimate shots of being rookie of the year and have opportunities with their major league clubs are usually the guys that are in the top 25 of these prospect lists, whether it's baseball Americas, whether it's baseball prospectus, keep law, you know, uh, MLB pipeline, whoever those are usually the elite like the elite guys the guys that actually hit and turn out to be sevens and like legitimate superstars and top two three round kind of fantasy guys for 10 years they're ranked in that area and those are the guys that are getting pushed up i think by a lot of like the prospect promotion incentive and that's some of like the real life impact is had on you know the fantasy game where years ago you had even someone who was like a no doubt guy like Chris Bryant was, you know, held down to a certain date because of super two, because of, you know, how all that stuff uh, worked. Now there's incentive to do the opposite because if they get a first round pick, there's obviously more surplus value for a team for that. Or, you know, like they're, they're more likely to do it. They're more likely to take that shot and call those young guys up. Um, So I, I think that like the game itself with young players and, how quickly a guy can move now has really skyrocketed up and it has made the game younger because it's forcing out some of those fringy cheap roster guys that could get it done on bad teams. Now those bad teams have an incentive not to, you know, keep their prospects in the minors for an extra two, three, four months, um, sometimes a full year. I mean, I think we can look back on some of these guys and be like, 
Vlad Guerrero Jr. in like 2018 probably could have been in the major leagues in 2019. And if this incentive had existed, maybe he and Bo are up a year earlier even. Um, so I think that's had some impact on it. I think it's one of the reasons that it's such a, it, you know, it's such a, a potential edge if you do know the player pool. And I think a lot of it is like the player pool on the 40-man roster. You know, I don't think knowing low A 19-year-old guys who just came off the complex is going to necessarily have the same impact in a redraft setting. Um, that's, you know, when you start to get into your really deep dynasties. But I do think like looking at AAA's stat cast and just getting a better understanding for the player pool is going to be more important in a redraft as well. Um, so Yeah, and I think the like what Dylan was saying about, you know, redraft players are getting better. I think dynasty players are also um, – getting a lot better and it's it's not necessarily the same types of um thing you know like you know i don't think dynasty players are running the same type of um algorithms and stuff that that some of the redraft players are but the dynasty format's been popular for long enough now i think a lot of people have played it for 5 10 15 years you learn a lot of lessons along the way and i think one of those lessons that uh you know some people could still learn is what you were talking about, Jeff, with that, the, the talent really is those top guys. Um, it's a real steep drop off with the prospects. Like to me, there's there's maybe 20 prospects that I would really kind of covet um, in trade right now in like a dynasty league. And after those top 20 or so, um, you know, maybe not the same 20 as, as you have or someone else has, but uh it, it's a real steep drop off to me in terms of like yeah sure i'll trade that guy to help my team win now uh i realize the bust rate on the 45th best prospect is quite a bit higher than some people might realize and i'm not even banking on that player to turn into anything necessarily like it, it'd be great if they do but i think dynasty players have gotten a lot smarter about what to do with those kind of mid-tier prospects like you don't want to hold on to all of them you got to pick which ones you really want to hold on to. And if you can move, you know, a, a guy that's that's got some helium but is two and a half years away from the majors, um, you know, I think that's that's becoming a more kind of accepted, this is how you do it type of type of move in Dynasty. And, you know, the best way to learn in, in life and in, in fantasy, I think, is just through mistakes. And so if you've made, um, you know, some really bad trades over the years, you know, hopefully you're doing some – some looking back and being like, oh, yeah, I probably uh, could have done it a little differently there. So um, I think everyone's getting better right now. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, they're used to when I first started Dynasty, which is like 2017, maybe um, like there are very few prospect outlets where I can get the information. And then and I don't know anything about it back then. And now there's all everyone's like got their blogs and their Patreons and they're doing work. They're, they're doing their data-driven stuff. They're making their lists. They're they're posting them on Twitter. So everyone has way more access than they did before. And I think some of the stuff you're talking about, like philosophies, um, where it's like there's a lot of talk about used prospects as currency, or it's like the stock market, and you want to buy low, sell high. And when I first started, like I had like Chance Cisco as my catcher, and I was going to wait till he got he graduated. <laughs> he was going to replace my other catcher. Like that's how I was thinking about it because I don't know, <laughs> like how like the dynasty games being played. And now it's like you churn the bottom and make sure you have a spot and don't invest in pitchers and all. There's kind of like truisms that are very very widespread and mainstream now. 
Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, all that stuff is, uh, is becoming true. And it's, it's funny because um, I'm going to sort of set you up here, James, a little bit. You had mentioned something specific to catchers um, that I thought was interesting. And I kind of felt like it was in some ways like the dynasty sort of market or whatever going full circle. But if you don't mind me putting you on the spot here, uh, sort of refresh my memory of like, you know, what your, your take was on catchers and something that you were seeing actually, I think out in the wild as well. Yeah. You know, I think um, maybe three, four years ago, uh, it became pretty clear to me that yeah, I think I was like ranking maybe like eight catching prospects in my top 100 or something, like just something crazy that I'd just never done before. And you know, that was, you know, you go back like eight, 10 years for anyone who hasn't been playing that long. Um, like I remember like the first dynasty league I played in, I would sit, it was like a 20 team league and I would bet, you know, maybe eight of the 20 teams had a catcher at that point that they were like, yeah, this is my guy. This is going to be my catcher this year. He's going to be my catcher next year. Um, but now if you're in a 20 team league where everyone just starts one catcher, there might only be three or four teams in your league that don't think their catcher of the future is on their current roster. Um, you know, maybe they've got like a mediocre big league catcher, but they've got Ethan Solace waiting in the wings or Samuel Basayo. Um, you know, you, you just don't have that many teams in a league like that that are actively looking for an upgrade at that position. And of course there are, I think it's, just really uh, criminal almost to do a dynasty, like a startup dynasty league these days where you're only starting like 15 catchers total in the league, um, just given how deep the position's gotten, but those leagues exist. And then there's leagues, you know, there's 30 team leagues where everyone starts a catcher. There's 15 team leagues where everyone starts two catchers. I'm sure there are 20 team leagues where everyone starts two catchers. So obviously the format matters uh, in terms of what the demand's going to be uh, for catchers, but, like I did uh, my first startup uh, dynasty draft this off season uh, with a, with a friend uh, co-manager. And uh, it was a, I think it was actually like a 15 team one catcher league. Um, but I remember like looking at the draft board, like 25, 30 picks in, and there were multiple teams that had put like three of their higher picks into catchers in this like one catcher league. It's, and it was an expensive league. It was like $150 like fan tracks league. Um, and it's just, it's crazy to me. Like I, I, you're putting, you know, it's, it's so fun to have an awesome, you know, young catching prospect, uh, especially one that, and you usually find those guys, you can find those guys off waivers a lot of times. Um, you know, Basayo was off waivers, obviously. Um, and it's great to find those guys. And they're usually, they last on waivers longer than they would if they were a shortstop or an outfielder or whatever. Um, but you just, you know, having four of the 25 best dynasty catchers on your roster, it's just not that useful. And it's, um, there's always going to be pop-up catchers uh, in the minors every year too. So if you go into the season with three catchers, you don't want to drop and only one spot for you to start a catcher, you're not going to pick up any of the breakout catchers that, that come in off waivers and you're not really going to be able to move the guys that you have and you're not playing for what you would consider fair value. Uh, like if you have a really good shortstop prospect or a really good outfield prospect, 
every team always needs more of that, right? Um, but it's just like I see teams or people building their dynasty teams with four catchers, three catchers, and a one catcher league. It's just crazy to me. Like it's just I, I hate it. I would I would never do it. Um, but like there are different leagues where I'm sure that that is actually something you you can benefit from if if people are out there really scraping the bottom of the barrel for their second catcher or whatever. Um, but these guys are going to keep popping up. Teams love having a, a ton of catching depth. Teams love, like, like the Orioles aren't going to trade Samuel Visayo. Um, Like, I really don't think they're going to. Uh, he's too good. Like, they don't need to trade Samuel Visayo to get the players they need. So, like, teams don't look at this as a problem. They're not like, oh, crap, we have too many good catchers. Um, like, the Dodgers would love to have just five awesome catchers in their system at all times. Um, so I just think it's, it's a it's a position that people you definitely want to get great production from the catcher position. Uh, I think that's a uh, like an old, an old misnomer that's been you know, proven wrong um, a long time ago that like just go cheap at catcher or whatever. Um, but having a good catcher on your bench or like two good catching prospects with a good catcher in your big league lineup, it's just a waste of resources. Absolutely, and like you said, um, you know, there's not a ton of leagues necessarily where you know depending upon the depth especially when you think about the types of leagues that a majority of people are playing in they're not rostering multiple catchers probably like in the in the starting lineup they're not playing in two catcher leagues necessarily it's probably shallower than 15 teams even um so a lot of the readers people watching out there uh sometimes probably play in leagues where they don't really have the same demand um but a lot of those players, like you said, are being drafted in droves. And it feels like every year there's, you know, three catching prospects um, that sign for decent money that come stateside that rake and then three more guys out of the draft. I mean, you know, just take a look at last year's draft. We had Kyle Teal. Uh, Teal was up to double A, I think, you know, has a legitimate shot of nature, uh, reaching the big leagues this year. And that's someone that was, you know, entering his draft spring at this time last year. And here we are talking about him, you know, potentially uh, playing in the big leagues with the Red Sox next year. It's, it's and, incredible. And, and, I, and it's, and it's definitely like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, you don't want Kyle Teal or you don't want Basayo or Sol Solace. It's more like, you know, like an Edgar Caro or a Jefferson Caro or, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of caliber of catching prospect to me, I just don't have any time for it because I I'm aiming higher than that. Like I, I don't want the 15th best catcher in a one catcher league. I want the, you know, the best catcher or top five catcher. Um, it's just more that, that like that depth where it's like, okay, what's the best case scenario with this guy? Like he's the 14th best catcher during his mid twenties. Like, great. Like that's, that's really not that valuable. Yeah. I mean, really what you're speaking to is what's the replacement value in your league and then what's the going to be the replacement value in three years um if you have the queros the the two queros and andy rodriguez and and all these guys coming in you're you're raising the like the replacement level and so that kind of compresses the top you're only you know five dollars better than the bottom catcher if you have such a great crop of catchers so it, you kind of have to like anticipate what the landscape's going to look like I think when you you're talking about having like the eight catchers in your top 100, it's like, oh, that's going to dilute their value now. And so like everyone else is kind of lower. And so like an Adley Rushman or a Will Smith, 
maybe aren't as valuable because there's this crop coming in and they're going to be right on their tails and kind of be, you know, only $10 worse or whatever. And if you do valuations, so definitely you have to, I guess my point is the takeaway is know your league and the settings. If there's, if you're a 15 team, one catcher league, you know, the replacement catcher is like the 16th best. And so, you know, number 15 is only worth a dollar. So anyone below that is, is quote unquote zero. And then also try to anticipate what it's going to look like in, you know, three years. What's, what's, uh, who's going to be the 15th best catcher and kind of reevaluate and reassess from there. And if you're in a 15 team, one catcher league and you're doing a startup, uh, you know, if you want to take Adley, you want to take, you know, William Contreras, Will Smith, whoever, that's fine. But if you're just going to take Sean Murphy, like just be the last person to take a catcher because there are 15 really good catchers this year. That's uh that's Sean Murphy slander. Uh, <laughs> Sean Murphy was excellent in the first half of the year. And then that injury just drove him into the ground and he was terrible in the second half. I don't know. I don't know what to make of him. Cause like, if he's healthy like that for a full season, even if it was 75% of what it was in the first half and the second half, he's going to finish in the top five of that position. And he's in that lineup where like Eddie Rosario's counting stats, like pushed him into like the top 150 last year, just about. And it's Eddie Rosario. I mean, come on, right? I don't know. Sorry, I like I like Sean Murphy. Well, I you know it, it's but that's that's almost like what like that almost proves my point. You know, like he's probably the tenth catcher by ADP this year, um, and he's you know he's a guy that Atlanta needs healthy for the postseason. Um, he's wasn't really an Iron Man in the minors. He's a big guy. They have Travis Darno. Like they're not going to run him out there as much as the Orioles are going to run Adley Rutschman out there. And, you know, there's a, like, how much better is he than Sal Perez? How much better is he than Francisco Alvarez? You know, how much better is he than Wilson Contreras? Like, there's a lot of good catchers out there right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's fair. It's a good point. Catching is, uh, has certainly changed. Just depends where you can get, Murphy. I don't know. I feel like it's cheap. Um, and I'm not starting like with any like full redrafts this year. Um, or excuse me, full like, you know, uh, startups at least in a while. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, uh, anything you guys have been doing in the off season. I've had three FYPDs going on. Um, have you done any, any, you know, um, startup dynasty drafts, you've just been doing redraft stuff and FBC stuff. What have you guys been working on? Uh, well, I, like I said, I did the one startup. I haven't done any FYPDs. Um, I, you know, I got at Rotowire, I get people asking about first year player draft stuff in like October and November. I'm just like, what kind of crazy ass league are you in where you guys are doing that before the J15 guys sign? But um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think most of mine are, you know, maybe they start in like mid, late February. Some of them start in March. Um, it is a, it's kind of a, I mean, I guess it's kind of like this, most years, but it is, there is some kind of contentious sort of decisions near the top um, for FYPD. Like, you know, I've just a lot of people asking like, well, is it a mistake to take uh, like, so I've got like a, a group of four guys after like Wyatt Langford and Yoshinobu Yamamoto, like Walker Jenkins, Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, Matt Shaw to me are kind of in a tier together, but like you, you know, you just got to, do your best kind of within that tier. Um, nothing wrong with taking Cruz third, nothing wrong with taking Walker Jenkins third, nothing wrong with taking Skeens third. Um, I don't think there's much kind of breaking into that top two, um, but I'm sure that they won't go as the top two in, in every FYPD. So um, it's just, you know, and, you know, where do you put like Colt Emerson, you know, where do you put the, the top J15 guys? It's, it's such a loaded pool. Um, I'm kind of anxious to, to have an FYPD get going here. I'm going to say this. Um, so like I said, I, I've done, I'm in the midst of three right now. Um, and they're kind of my big three. One of them is the RAS 30 as James is uh, familiar with is uh, my, uh, my league mates have been going to James for inside strategy, et cetera, for years. So I have to work hard to combat that. Um, I traded for a ton of second rounders and trades this year as like, instead of going after first rounders, but earlier second rounders, mid second, any second rounder that I could get. And I got a few of them. Um, I actually had the first pick in the second round um, and they were like throw-ins in larger deals. And it was really just me going back and being like, Hey, would you throw in a second? Cause we can only, we can only trade first, second and thirds in that league. Um and people don't value the seconds like they value the first. I knew how deep this draft was. Um, and the fact that there are also players who get released back into the pool who were rostered prospects uh, during the season. And like those second round picks like are pretty valuable. Um, and just in terms of 
what you can get back for him in trade value, turn them into something else or type of players that, uh, that you're able to, you know, pick up there. So like, I think that's another thing this year is like, if your league is a little bit deeper and you go several rounds in the FYPD trade for second round picks, if you can, because there's going to be a lot of really good players that drop into the second round because it's a loaded hitting class in particular, a lot of, of, of college hitting, which are like fast moving guys are going to, are, who are going to move up the board, probably get drafted a little bit earlier which means a lot of like those talented prep guys are kind of sliding down the board. Uh, Nate, Nate Handy here, a friend of all of ours, uh, is in that Raz 30 league, and he called out um, me taking Colin Hulk at 55. I mean, that's a first-round pick. That's a, you know, a prep shortstop where debate how high the upside is, but that's typically where the, the big hits come from, are international guys and high school players from the United States. It's not necessarily college guys. College guys typically are a little bit safer, um, et cetera. But it's just, you're going to try to hit like some big homers. It's going to be, it's going to be those international guys and it's going to be those prep picks. So. And to your point, Jeff, like I just checked, I've got 20 FYPD guys, not counting. I don't rank um, like Yamamoto on my prospect rankings, but like I've got 20 traditional prospects in my top 100 from this first year player draft class. And that's a, that's a high number. Um, you know, I know, you know, that like usually I'm putting like nine or 10 guys in the top 100 and it's partly because I think it is there, there was kind of a talent drain last year with the amount of guys that got to the big leagues. Um, but it's just the way that I rank prospects, like I'm more interested in seeing what, you know, some of those prep shortstops become, um, knowing that they might not become anything than I am to sort of see what some like 22 year old guy who I know is never going to be a top 25 prospect, you know, like it's just, if you're looking for upside first year player draft is, is kind of where you got to go for it. Well, I'll, I'll even say, I think if you're looking for floor, your best bet a lot of the time is to go after like top two round high school guys, the guys who get big bonuses that have talent, um, and, and like you read the scouting report, you know, that, you know, there was performance, um, you know, on the showcase circuit, et cetera. And that's easy information to find nowadays too. Years, years ago, it wasn't, you can use baseball America. There's available reports on a million different guys from a million different websites and the draft as well as that area has expanded. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I feel like when you you're making these picks, you want guys that you're going to want to hold a spot in your roster and keep, depending upon what the format is. Um, and more often than not, regardless of really what format I'm going after, the guys that I regret drafting are typically like the sure thing bets of like, oh yeah, this guy's going to move quick. Or it's somebody that's going to be in the rotation next year. And then I look back in it a year later and I'm like, why didn't I take you know, whoever it was that was a, a talented international guy or a high school player where there was like some idea that he could hit and there was some offensive game. If it's just like a, a glove first guy and you can read that in the scouting report and pick that up, obviously that's a different story. Um, but like I read a lot of the reports in this international class and it feels like there's five or six really interesting outfielders that are kind of toolsy and like have loud, you know, um, uh, uh, impact potentially in the barrel. And then, you know, I talked to, to Ben and he kind of where we have them in our list is where Ben would place them in the list. And Ben obviously knows 
the amateur stuff domestically really well uh, too. So it's it's good to get a balance there. Um, but this is a really talented class overall. So there's just there's just a ton to get there. And I think you know from year to year, we sometimes push up guys like Austin Martin and some of these other college players. And we've already seen two years of development, three years of development that we haven't necessarily seen with the high school guys. And teams are pretty good at this, you know? <laughs> the guys you're seeing well, going in the first they're, round. They're okay they're at really it. Good at this. <laughs> I mean, they're okay at it. There's there's still tons of whiffs. Um, but, you know, the – I mean, it's just so hard to get right. Um, mm -hmm. The one thing I would say about the international guys, if you're taking them in a first-year player draft, it better be someone that you plan on holding for three months. Um, because you're just wasting a pick if you take a J15 guy and then you drop him around Memorial Day for some pop-up guy, at least take one of the guys that you know is going to be assigned to a full season league so that you can evaluate them before dropping them. Like that, like it's kind of like whatever, you know, three players, five players from the international class that you really believe in after those guys, I'd rather just see who kind of pops up in the DSL because I don't want to stash like the 10th best J15 guy for three months, knowing that he's like five years away from the majors. Hmm. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind if you're going after that. Uh, but, but are those guys five years away from the majors now? Was one, I like, I'm seriously though, like we look at Julio Rodriguez, we look at Wander Franco, we looked at, you know, uh, Juan Soto, Vlad Guerrero Jr. The guys that are getting four or five million dollars. Leo, like Leo DeVries should be getting the majors in three years now, you know. Yeah, you name it. Yeah, you name like the best leagues. guys to sign though. Like uh -huh. the yeah. fifth best the fifth best guys in those classes, it's five years. I, I still yeah. I agree, but I think like um those top like five to ten players in the class in a year, those guys can blow up huge. I mean, Ethan Sawas, we look at uh Sebastian Walcott, these guys become first, you know, uh first year that they're eligible, more or less, end up getting pushed stateside end up in top 100 lists and immediately like you have significant return investment. And most of the time you're not taking those guys in the first round. You're mm -hmm. taking a lot of them. I mean, outside of maybe Perdomo and definitely DeVries, you're taking those guys outside the top 40 picks in a lot of FYPDs. And if you're in deeper leagues, like that's where you're able to turn those guys into like legitimate major league pieces that help you compete, you know, at least, at least that's been my experience. <laughs> yeah. No, if you especially if you're willing to sell those guys, you know, before they get to like double A. Um, but you're probably gonna want to just ride it out, especially if it's like the top guy in the class. I, I will sell I honestly I will sell pretty much any prospect. There's very few guys that like I won't trade. Um, especially if I'm in a you know, in a, a money league that's competitive, and I feel as if this is also like my job where like, I know the, I know the prospects well enough that I know when someone is like to move on pretty quickly and who I should move off of, you know? And I feel like there's just, they're making more of them every year, you know? And like, there's no guarantees. Those guys are obviously going to be stars, but every year in your dynasty leagues that you can trade 10 to 12 prospects and replace those guys within 12 months and enter the off season looking exactly the same and just unload those guys and reload. 
And a lot of the times you're trading back for players you might have traded away three, four years ago. But I don't care. Like you want to own those players at their peak value, regardless of, you know, how attached you are to them or how much you may like the player. You know, um, I feel like at least for me over the last couple of years, like I've gotten to the point that I, I'm, I'm fine trading away multiple prospects, knowing that three years down the road, I might go, oh, I can't believe I traded all that for this guy. But if it means that I get right now production for two years, that's valuable. And I think like it's a willing, it's a formula that you can repeat, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm the most willing to trade prospects, I think, because I, I trust my ability to backfill. <laughs> um, so I'm always trading prospects, even the good ones. But I think what we're seeing, like with the DSL guys, to speak to both your points, is like when Soto and Acuna came up, they were the hot name. Oh, who's the next DSL guy? And so we saw like uh, Luis Rodriguez, Eric Pena. Um, what was that guy on uh, the Brewers? Uh, I can't remember his name. Edward Perez. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> all being all being taken early first round, and then they haven't really panned out, and so now the kind of the market has soured on the DSL guys, mm. and it's like so maybe now's the time that you know, like if you tried to sell the fifth through tenth DSL or try to trade the fifth through tenth DSL guy from a couple of years ago, you're not really going to get any bites. You're not going to get anything because I think people yeah. are, are very skeptical that like, this is just going to be another, whatever name, name the names. Um, mm. And so there, you, you can't really get value for them, but so like, maybe that's, it's an opportunity to. <laughs> to have you, them. like, have you know, like that, that's kind of what I, I've been experiencing. I think I kind of mentioned this like earlier, Dylan, but like, have you noticed that where in, in your leagues where it's like, um, just the, the other teams have just gotten so much smarter about, no, I'm not taking your three prospects ranked in the like 60 to 120 range for this like very productive big leaguer. Like, it just seems like, obviously you jump on those trades if you can pull it off. It just seems like everyone's gotten pretty smart to the point where it's, it's a lot tougher to pull off those types of like obvious prospect for big leaguer trades. Uh, yeah, I, I think definitely people are getting smarter. I think people are also, they're not just like going for the prospect name. I, I think uh, maybe this is just my perception, but I feel there's a lot of volatility and movement in prospect lists now. Um, so someone who's not even on the top 400 suddenly jumps to like 120. And so people are skeptical, like anyone can jump on this list and anyone can have value. So like, do I want to trade for a uh, I'm, just, I'm just pulling a name out of this, not because I don't think this person's any good or anything, but like Justin Foscue or like some of these kind of fringe names that will be big leaguers, but how productive are they? Are they going to be stars? Probably not. Like, why would I trade for Justin Foscue when someone else can just pop up out of nowhere and be like a Josue Paula or whatever and suddenly have a lot of value and a lot of helium? So I'm finding people are much smarter, much more plugged into the prospect world. Um, and so you can't really just like hear four prospects for George Springer, like, <laughs> like you used to be able to do in, in, uh, in dynasty leagues. Like I remember I traded Sal Perez in that, in, I think that 2017 league for like Khalil Lee and Jorge Soler, because I'm like, Oh, Sal Perez is old and Khalil Lee is going to steal so many bases. Um, like those types of deals don't really happen anymore at all. No. <laughs> depends what kind of league you're in man depends what kind of league you're in I feel, like, I feel like you're you're in a certain level of league right now um and you play with certain buy-ins 
so you're not necessarily seeing everything. Yeah, I mean, it, that's a really good point, Jeff. <laughs> like, there there are just wide ranging leagues, like and um, like formats. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how many prospects are rostered? Like the how many prospects are rostered part is huge in terms of like how valuable is a prospect in your specific league. Like if 500 prospects are rostered, it's a lot harder to backfill. But if 150 prospects are rostered, it's mm -hmm. super easy to backfill. Exactly. So like it, it really matters what format you're playing in and, and people listening or watching know their league's tendencies. And, you know, if you can keep pulling off those types of trades, you do it. If you're new to Dynasty, if you're kind of new to like trading um, big league for, for prospects, mm -hmm. like I would just say, like, don't just don't do it unless it's just such a clear win to you that like you don't feel like you have a choice. But like you shouldn't be considering these prospect for big leaguer trades if you're looking at it as kind of like a coin flip. Like it needs to just be like, yeah, I just I don't really have any choice here. I have to take this deal. I think like major leaguers over 30, 31, 32. I could I can get I can get down with some some of those trades. I'm fine with that. So when you're trading like 27, 28 year olds to get a 21 year old, I don't I think you're losing a lot in that sort of swap. You know, I think there can still be like good deals made in the prospect for major leaguer world, like that work for both teams. You know, I don't think it's uh I don't think it's dead necessarily um i had there was actually a good question here i wanted to uh throw up that we got in the chat from andrew mason it says do you guys have any tips or negotiation strategies when trying to trade prospects or for prospects can be tricky in our league uh and having different teams having different valuations or trade tactics i think that's accurate dylan or or james do you guys want to which one wants to tackle this one first you, you want to go? Um, well, I I feel a lot better about trading prospects when I um, have a very good idea uh, what that player is. Um, I don't love trading. Like, I wouldn't want to trade, um, I don't know, like Leo DeVries, for instance. Uh like if I draft him in like an FYPD, I'm not trading him in June. I want to see what he does. And I want to see like if his stock can climb a little bit. Um, Justin Foscu, like Dylan mentioned, like I think we all know what Justin Foscu is. So it's just, it's so much easier to kind of be like, this is what he is. This is what he could turn into if he gets the opportunity. It's, it's so much easier to kind of be like, all right, I, I can move this guy. I know what I'm missing out on, or I know this is what it could look like if he if he really pans out. Um, I don't know. That's just one way I kind of look at it, but I'd be interested to see what Dylan says. I find it hard <laughs> for people to trade prospects with me, either I, if I offer them or, if, or I'm trying to ask for one. Like, I don't think I could just say, hey, what do you want for – Miguel Blaise or something like that because they're immediately skeptical. Like, what does he know? And they're not going to make that trade. Um, so one thing I do, and I, this may not work in all cases, is I try to find out and I actually keep a little note beside the team names of like who, uh, which outlets they seem to be following. Like if I see, if you have your FYPD list come out, 
uh, James, and then I see that people are kind of tracking to it in the draft. I'm like, oh, it looks like they're using James's list. And so I'll, I'll always remember that and have that written down that James's list. So I will like look at your list and see who's higher <laughs> on a list and then make that trade because I know that that other owner will look at the teams and say, oh, yeah, well, this is a good deal because he's ranked higher. Um, you need to be meticulous like I am and have a list of every team and who you think they're following. Um, and it's not necessarily going to work anyway. But yeah, it is difficult. I think you need to also know the tendencies of your league. Are the other opponents you're playing with, do they like prospects? Um, do they not like prospects? Obviously, you have to kind of tailor the trade offers and negotiations around that. Um, I think another thing, this is the thing that Brian Slack, my co-manager from the main event team he used to use this technique he calls it up and down the ladder which is if he's going for it he's not just trading his prospects for win now players because that will restrict his trading partners to only those who have like veteran players who will be willing to trade for prospects he will trade his productive major league players for prospects if he feels that he's getting better value because that now opens up more trading partners because now he has a good prospect that he can now trade and so he's he he just as long as he's gaining value in the trade he will take a prospect even if he's going forward or or take a veteran who has value even if he's even a rebuild because he wants to keep his options open so i'm maybe andrew um that might be a, an option like don't just look for the prospects you want try to think of like subsequent like fallout and subsequent deals you can do uh, after making an initial trade. That's, that's way too much, uh, trading for me personally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, tra trading's honestly my least favorite part of dynasty leagues. I know for a lot of people it's their favorite part, but, um, it's, it's probably the thing I'm worst at in dynasty leagues is trading. Um, cause I just don't put much time into it at all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't really have the time to put into it. So, um, you know, for the most, and, and I'm too confident in my own evaluations. So, like, most of my Dynasty League team, like, everyone's going to make good trades and stuff. Most of my Dynasty League teams would be better if I just didn't trade anyone. I've kind of felt that way for a long time. Um, I used to call it the, uh, the Berlin Wall strategy, where I just had, like, all of my players just, like, completely walled in and not traded. Um, <laughs> Um, and, and I would make like a trade like here and there. I used it in a few leagues and honestly it worked because I felt like I knew the player pool. I knew the types of players that I, I liked. And I also had some continuity with my roster, meaning like I knew what the strengths were of my team because I had sort of meticulously followed it for six months, the year prior, and then thought about it for another three months and then built it up for another month and a half. Um, so like, you know what your deficiencies are. I, I feel like, and like, you also kind of know what players are super frustrating that you want to move on from. Like there's no, there's nothing that will put you off of a player um, after rostering them for a year and like feeling like they're just, I remember like, it's one of the reasons I like, I had Justin Upton on a ton of teams early on, like when he first came up and he would do this thing where he'd be awful in the first half and then great in the second half. And you'd have like, or like vice versa. You'd have like one half where he was like, the worst hitter in baseball and like another half who was the best hitter in baseball. And even though the numbers at the end of the year, like worked, it was like, I was so sick of dealing with it that I just traded away just everywhere I possibly could and got, you know, returned in value. So I do honestly think it's a viable strategy to not trade. 
I do think there are certain formats where you're kind of forced to trade. Like my home league, longtime league, um, it is a keep eight with some options, meaning like we have some prospects if they're in your minor league system, we roster like five to seven on each team. Um, and those guys get, you know, promoted up. You can keep them free for two years, but it's mostly a keep eight and it's head to head points, um, which is chaos to begin with. Uh, and that format is chaos to begin with. And then you, you know, you factor in the keep eight training is like essential. Like I wish I traded more in that league, to be honest with you, but there are certain formats where you really should be like putting your foot in the gas or taking as many assets for next year as you possibly can. And, you know, hoarding like a squirrel in the winter or something. I think, I think depending upon the format and how the league works, there's always different strategies that you should even employ from year to year based on how things are working. You know, I don't, have you guys played in any like head to head points dynasty formats at all? Cause I'm in a few. I'm in, I'm in three head-to-head points keeper leagues that I joined in college, um, which is like 15 years ago, basically. Um, those are like, they're not, I, keeper leagues and dynasty leagues to me are two different things. You know, like keeper league, you're keeping, you know, six to 10 big leaguers, maybe a couple prospects per team. Dynasty league, you're keeping, you know, 20 plus players. Uh, I'm not in any head-to-head points leagues where it's where I would consider it a dynasty league, but I am in some keeper ones. I'm not. Know? I'm not in any points or no. head-to-head. I, I was a long time ago, and I just I didn't really like it at all. I just I like roto and how Thank like you. the strategy of like looking at categories and how you can catch up and all that. Whereas kind of points, from my experience, was just like it is what it is, and you can't really do anything about it. I think it depends on the group. Um, if you have like a, a close group of friends and it's uh, a group that you like to talk smack against, I think like I can understand why the head to head format, particularly points is good. I like the idea of points because it encompasses a lot more of the player's value in terms of like how many points they capture in a given year versus just like straight ahead five by five roto, you know? Um, like I personally hate batting average leagues. I don't want to play in a batting average league like ever. You know, even the leagues that I'm in that have batting average, I wish they would switch to OBP because it's just such a goofy stack, you know. And I honestly feel like from year to year, the value just fluctuates that if you just tracked the counting stats, you added up the runs, RBIs, home runs, and stolen bases, that that would track almost equally along a straight line with fantasy value. Um and you wouldn't even have to factor in batting average all that much because if they're doing all those things, the batting average is probably pretty good. You know, it's just, there's, there's no extra component of it to me that adds any intrigue at all, but I'm just, I'm very sick of the standard five by five that I'd rather play OBP or some sort of like different type of scoring. I had one last year. It's a, it's um I think it's a six by six and it had some sort of like run value that you could calculate out and figure it out but it it was like a really interesting wrinkle so i don't know i feel like i feel like expanding and trying different types of scoring different types of formats is is interesting and keeps it you know somewhat new um but i also think points is becoming a bigger and bigger part of 
fantasy baseball in general and a larger percentage of the leagues that are out there. Well, I'm hoping to uh, grow the standard 5 by 5 Roto game, so I, I <laughs> disagree with your take. Um, you like batting average? I love 5 by 5 Roto. Like, Oh, my God. Saves, saves and wins are flawed stats too, man. Like, It's just that's the game. But like saves and but like saves and wins to me doesn't just erase an entire skill set that's super important nowadays. The teams value more than they they value batting average, and it's also a much more true statistic. Like from year to year, your OBP is much more true of your talent, especially when you factor in walks, versus just like guys who hit singles. Like I don't know, I I. Because you can even go after batting average stuff like guys and you can think you have a high batting average floor and it fluctuates 30, 40 points just based on luck and weird stuff. I'm just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't like, I don't like batting average, but regardless. I mean, it depends what, like, if you're trying to recreate, if you're trying to make it as like realistic in terms of what's valuable as possible, of course it's a flawed format, but I'm not trying to do that. Like, I don't, I don't care about that. I just don't like I don't think about players in terms of batting average. Like I, I when I break down a player, I think about archetypes. Like this is what I think about for like my job. It's my life. It's my, my obsession. I don't think about like, oh, is he gonna hit 250 or 290? I just think it's a bad question. Cause it's like, I don't know what's his batting average on balls and play gonna be. You know, I can tell you like, okay, like it's probably gonna be I can tell you that number with more sure, like with more certainty than I can tell you what his batting average is going to be. Cause it's just, those numbers fluctuate wildly from year to year, unless you're, you know, Louis are Ar- It's like, there's like five guys that actually hit for batting average. Now. <laughs> and now we're chasing Billy Hamilton, single, single category type guys. I don't know. That's, I that's think knock on people Hamilton. aren't chasing those guys though. I just, I just would much rather play OBP. I just think it's a better format. Kyle Schwarber's much better. Come on. Who doesn't want a format where Schwarber's better? I think if I was playing in one league, I would want something that kind of emulates real baseball, like kind of like these odd new leagues or whatever, where there's like salaries and you have to be like really <clears throat> into it. If I have like 10 leagues and then I have like the Highlander or like Mackie League that Derek and Riper has, like where it's just complicated contracts and it's like you can't pick up guys who are injured and fabs on Thursday instead of Sunday. Like everything is kind of confusing. I don't like it because it just throws off my routine. Um, So anything that kind of that uh, deviates from like the standard five by five or OBP instead of BA uh, or, you know, saves and holds instead of saves, like anything more that, like if it's a nine by nine or something, I, I won't like it. And I'll probably learn to like it if I play it in many years. I just don't have the intuitive grasp of these like arcane rule changes. Um, so I just like the standard five by five as well, just because I know it. I'm just, it's comfortable. And it's like, there's a common language amongst, you know, even people on Twitter and all that. Um, and you can find lists and you can find, you know, rankings like very easily. And there's a lot of detail about it. So it's like out of laziness, I kind of prefer it. But I mean, obviously, if you're trying to emulate the real game, you're going to have like, you know, war and all that stuff. I'm dealing with two purists. You're, you're spot on, Christopher. <laughs> Thanks for the comments. I, uh, I 100% agree there. You guys are, you guys are purists, purists. Purist. I play in too many batting average leagues. I just feel like it's, oh, I don't know. 
I just don't I, I don't like the stat. And it's in OBP to begin with. So I love the I love the I love that Chris said I that I don't want a format where Schwarber is better. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that was my favorite comment too, but I didn't want to pin that one on you. <laughs> you don't you don't you don't appreciate uh, the big beefy boys. It's fine. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I think that you know I play in a variety of different formats. I like trying all the different ones and um you know, certainly, I I do like the holistic part of points, and especially with the d- deductions, whether it's for strikeouts, because it does balance like contact skills in a real way. And I, you know, I just I think it's a much more interesting format, and different players can equal different values in very different ways. And I think that's very similar to real baseball. We're like, you look at a player like C.J. Abrams, and it was funny because. This was a conversation Dylan and I had this offseason, but like CJ Abrams is a much better fantasy hitter, like significantly so than a real life hitter. I mean, he was a below average, like what do you have, 87 WRC plus a number somewhere around there. But fantasy wise, I mean, this this guy is a 2050 threat, right? Like there's there's obviously a ton of value there for a guy like Abrams in, in a standard five by five format. Um that he doesn't necessarily have in like a real life setting, um, which I think is when we make lists, especially for baseball Americas, we do have a lot of more baseball purists. Um, they maybe there's a bit of a disconnect between um, how that value is assessed in real life versus like how it's assessed with fantasy. Well, I think the, when you're ranking prospects, like, OBP is more important to ranking the prospect than mm-hmm. the batting averages. Um, Cause you have to get to the big leagues. You have to get into a role. Um, and obviously the big league team's not going to look at your batting average. They're going to look at your OBP. So um, there's, there might not be that big of a disconnect. Like, I mean, I think the, you know, catchers I think are usually ranked much higher on real life lists than fantasy lists. Yes. Uh, pitchers, injured pitchers, like, that, that's where kind of the disconnect is to me. Yeah, and defense, obviously, as well. Someone who's really good at defense, although it indirectly is important for fantasy because, I mean, playing time, um, there you know, you find those guys, the defensive wizards on on, on real lifeless, obviously. Yeah, and um, I had said this, I think, in um, maybe our prospect list, this like and uh, preamble uh, that we released this week, the fantasy top 100 prospects, but... Um, I sort of feel like with fantasy, I don't really care if he's a 50 defender or a 70 defender at shortstop. I just kind of want to know that he's going right. to get, he's going to get consistent playing time defensively that like when he does slump, he's going to get an opportunity to break out of those slumps uh, because he's a good defender, because the team's not going to want to take him out of the lineup, out of the field, etc. cetera. Um, so that to me is really my only concern. But after a certain point, like I don't care if he's a 60 or a 70 when I'm ranking out a fantasy, a prospect for fantasy. When I'm creating a top 30 list for Baseball America, when we're doing the top 100 list, the fact that Carson Williams is a 70 defender is very important to me. And it's the reason he may rank above somebody else who might rank above him in a fantasy list, though I do like Carson Williams. Um, but he's bad for standard five by five. So he's off Dylan and James's draft list. 
But I, I mean, speaking to that as well, like a 50 versus 70 defender at short, you know that the, the 70 defender as he ages can get moved to second or third probably, and you'll yeah. have a longer career. So there's more longevity. So it's like, you have to consider all these different moving variables. Yeah. I mean, like, like Joey Ortiz, if Joey Ortiz is a 50 defender, to me, he's like a utility player, um, but he's not. So like that, that's a, that's a case where it does matter. Like 50 versus 60, 70. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, Cole Peterson, it's the bat. I mean, like, the thing with Joey Ortiz is, like, if Ortiz shows the impact he showed in the minor leagues at the major league level and he proves that it's a, it's not a fluke, um, I, you know, I think a lot of the way that he's reported and talked about isn't necessarily true to what the underlying data is. Like, Dylan has seen the numbers on Joey Ortiz. His EV numbers are really good. Like, it's not like he's even, like, slightly above average. Like, some of those EV numbers are well above average. And if you see the guy, he's strong. You know, he remade his body. He added a ton of, you know, muscle on it a few years ago. Has always been a great defender going back to, you know, when he was at New Mexico State. I just think, like, if he hits, he could be a 55 defender. That's fine. Like, it really comes down to whether he hits or not, you know. Um Will he get playing time? Sure. But then you're sort of talking about like the the back end of middle infielders in a dynasty league, right? I mean, it's not I mean, I, I'm not I'm not beating down any doors to own like or roster like Bryce Terang or someone like that, you know. I don't know. I mean, it, it depends. I mean, it certainly gets you opportunities, but JP Crawford kind of like until he started to hit, like, what was his value like? No, he does get you opportunities in the major level, that's for sure. All right, I have a question sure. for James. I was just wondering how he deals with being such a market mover with prospects in in, <laughs> in his leagues, like just. Not not like whether there are like ethical quandaries you have if someone makes you an offer and you know that you're going to drop that prospect later in your release next week or whatever. But I just knowing like the responsibility or that you have or how much you move markets, just how do you how do you grapple with that in your leagues or anything like that? Um. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird question. I <laughs> I uh, I just care way more about my prospect rankings than my dynasty teams. So. I'd rather be right about my prospect rankings and like miss out on some players or something than the other way around. Like, you know, I, and it just, I don't know. I, I, I haven't I've gotten this question before and I don't like, um, you know, I think there are probably some leagues out there where like I hear about these leagues where it's like, yeah, half my league is using your rankings and stuff. Um, I, and a lot of the leagues I'm in are kind of um, industry-ish leagues. So it's not like I'm playing in a bunch of home leagues where half the leagues use my rankings. So it's it's more something I kind of like hear about than something I experience. But um, yeah, I mean, I it's, it is kind of weird, but uh, obviously would just much rather put the time in on the rankings than on my dynasty teams in the offseason. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I mean, I write my weekly RoboScout articles and like, I'm not holding names back because I want to pick them up that yeah. day or whatever. I'm, I'm <laughs> putting out who I think is, is making waves and who's interesting for that. But it's just like Rob DiPietro, for example, is always like, it's so funny. Every week you're writing these names and you're into my leagues and I'm reading your articles. Like, <laughs> it's so strange. It's, it's worse in, I mean, it's worse in redraft because like that's, um, there's a lot more money on the line and, sure. uh, and it's kind of a, you know, like if I'm, if all the guys I want, like get taken in front of me, like that's really going to negatively affect my season. Um, doesn't mean I hold anything back, but that is like much more of where I would notice it and be annoyed by it than in Dynasty. I think we all like the the chase as well. Um, and I'll just say that, uh, you think Dynasty owners think uh, you're colluding? Wait until uh, major league teams get uh, first round draft picks based off of things you put into into uh, into actual prospect rankings. That's an, that's an interesting feeling. Uh, getting yelled at by Tigers fans about uh, Parker Meadows not being in the top 100, and I'm like, I, I I neither did the Tigers list nor have the power to just push him onto the top 100. So. Um, Sorry, I did a disservice. I actually read one the other day. You guys will appreciate this, where it was a response to a Keith Law tweet about his top 100 prospects. Um, and I I do kind of enjoy reading some of the comments on Keith because I can relate as it's my job. And I just, you know, there's some always some interesting interactions there. So um, there was one, and it was about Braves prospects. And it was something to the regard of... Um, the Braves don't talk to prospect writers or sites, which is absolutely not true. I can tell you that. Um, and that that's the reason that Braves prospects are underrated. And I was like, this is like, but it's like those conspiracies go out there <laughs> in people's minds. Um, when you have any sort of power over rankings, it's kind of, it's kind of that, that made me think of something else though. Like, uh, like, please don't, like tweet at me or tweet at Jeff or someone and be like, or, or, or sometimes people will like jump into like a conversation on Twitter and they'll say like, Oh, uh, this guy's rankings are way better than this guy's. And like, they'll tag the person they're saying rankings suck. Oh. And, it's, and it's just like, you know, now you're, now you're putting some like just stop tagging people who you think they're the stuff they're working for a living isn't very good like at least just mention them without tagging them like that's just an awkward situation but yeah. uh there's a lot of but it's twitter so yeah yeah i don't know if we're gonna stop that but no i i just don't respond anymore and like no. you kind of automatically get uh muted i don't block anybody but i will mute you with the quickness so i don't have to see your tweets yeah, and it's great when I show up into a, a, a then a tweet, and I'm reading the responses or something, and it's like 17 people that I muted. But you know, there you go. Um, it's kind of how it goes in those Twitter streets. But we were a little bit over an hour now. I know I told James you would only be an hour. Um, anything you want to talk about before we wrap up here? Any work that you're putting out? Stuff you're working on now that you're excited about that you want to plug? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, obviously got the top 400 prospect rankings. Those are 
very fresh, uh, updated less than a month ago. Dynasty rankings updated about two weeks ago. First year player draft rankings updated less than a month ago. Um, I just released uh, yesterday my volume two of my rookie hitter rankings, which are just for redraft leagues. So I'm basically ranking and tiering hitters uh, and including my player shares and recent ADP of my sort of preference order of rookie hitters. I'll have a rookie pitcher version of that uh, the following week. And then uh, a labor of love. Um, I don't know how many people care about it, but one of my favorite things to do, uh, I started last off season is uh, I'll have like a big relief pitcher rankings, uh, relief pitching prospect uh, article um, where I try to go by you know, all 30 teams and kind of look at which pitchers in each org could be in the closer mix within the next like five years or so. Uh, probably a fruitless task, but, um, you know, I, I love doing that it's type fun. of stuff. I love like, you know, if you, if you can end up with like Edwin Diaz before he becomes Edwin Diaz or Emmanuel Classe before he becomes Emmanuel Classe, that's huge. Um, and it's really hard to do, but uh, I really like kind of, going team by team and trying to see like, and then, you know, obviously it's not just guys who are currently relief pitching prospects, but which starters are going to end up in the bullpen, that type of thing. So that'll be up in a couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, uh, mm. love, love talking with you guys. And uh, you'll both hopefully be back on my podcast, uh, not too distant future. Absolutely. You ask, uh, I'll be there. Yes. I, I like that article quite a bit. And uh did some fun names in there last year. No, there was some there was some Griff McGarry slander, which or know. or Griff McGarry truth telling. I I <laughs> uh, I I I don't know. Um, we'll see. I've, I Griff Griff was fine this year. Griff was fine this year. Had a little trouble in AAA with the wacky zone, but Griff's going to be fine. Griff's going to be fine. Um, it's probably true, but. The other thing is uh, the best stuff when it comes to prospects is all the relievers. That's the guys that have the best stuff. Uh, it's all the, you know, rubber arm chads that end up being starters in the major leagues that are boring that, you know, the stuff plus guys, those are all the guys that are going to be the relievers. Um, but either way, yeah, that was a, uh, that was a great article last year. I actually really, really enjoy that. And uh, I'm glad that you're going to be doing it again. Cause you, you went pretty deep. I think there were, 40, 50-ish names. You kind of group guys oh, together and talk yeah, about I, it a bit. I went really deep. Um, wouldn't be able to do it without uh, my Baseball America sub, that's for sure. Um, and uh, I'm going to mix up the format a little bit this year, like kind of do it more. Because I last year I tried to do it like which starters are going to end up in the bullpen, which current relievers do I like most. But I think it's going to be better to go like team by team and sort of look at like – who actually has the best chance with any org to end up in, in that role. But, you know, even if you just go like 20% or 10% on reliever specs, you're doing pretty well. It's fun. It's a fun area to look at, but James, I want to thank you uh, for hopping on with me uh, for Dylan, for Jeff, for all of you that tuned in for over an hour. Uh, much appreciated. We'll be back next week with another show. Thanks. Mm -hmm.